This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, my peers, and welcome to this week's episode of the Peers Project podcast. Today, we have another special guest on the show, my peers, and she's someone who I really admire for her ability to dive headfirst into the unknown and always find a way to swim, and more importantly, her highly curious nature. Today's guest really embodies all that it means to be curious and to live curiously, my peers, something that many of us often forget to do as we lead our busy lives. To be curious is to always be eager to learn and know more so that we can be more, my peers, and not because we have to, but because we want to. So who is this brilliant guest of ours, my peers? Well, she's a young entrepreneur, Lindsay Rogers. Lindsay is the co-founder and managing director of Cello, the award-winning creative content agency based in Sydney. Lindsay co-founded her business almost five years ago now at the ripe age of 25. And within her first 12 months of business, herself and her team at Cello turned over a million dollars in revenue. She then went on to win the Telstra Business Woman of the Year Award and soon after, was named 2016's Mumbrella's Under 30s Achiever. In 2017, my peers, she also made the Forbes Asia 30 Under 30 list. Yes, Lindsay is one ambitious go-getter. In today's episode, my peers, Lindsay and I go deep. You know, we talk about what really drives her to continually give things a go push the boundaries and propel herself and her business forward. Lindsay's down-to-earth nature and stories of how she's always backs herself, irrespective of what people think of her, is so refreshing, my peers. Remember to share this week's episode with your good mates, those who you think could really do with a dose of inspiration right now. And also remember to to take a screenshot Tag the Peers Project and Lindsay Rogers so that we know you're listening in. So without further ado, my peers, here is my conversation with the brilliant Lindsay Rogers. Lindsay, welcome to the Peers Project. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. 
Of course. So, you know, you know, you and I connected over LinkedIn very recently, actually, when I saw your feature in the Forbes at 30 Under 30 of 2017. And, you know, I looked into the brilliant work you're doing at Cello and I just knew I had to interview and have you come on the show. <laughs> so I really appreciate you making the time of being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah. Great. So before we dive into your work, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, what did your parents do? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life, in your career? That's a great question. I feel like it's very, um, you know, gives you a bit of insight into background and, you know, somebody's decision making. My parents are both, um, they're amazing people. Uh, my mum's a, a now a deputy principal at a special needs school. And my dad is um, a civil structural engineer. Wow. And um, they've had amazing sort of white collar careers. Um, my dad uh, took a sidestep out of his business once to um, work on an IT startup. Um, and he was in it for about a year or so and it just was not the right fit. Um, but he has a really... Um, open and kind of challenging way of thinking about like, well, why not? Could you, could you give something a go? And um, it's definitely underpinned a lot of my thinking and questioning along, along my journey. I love that. And I find that, I mean, I asked that question because it really does show you how you came to be mm. and help, help us understand you a bit better. Mm. So talk to us a little bit about, so you said your dad really had that influence. Talk to us a little, about, little bit about Lindsay, the early years. You know, what, what did you do? Did you, did you often try to start things of your own? You know, did you have that creative spirit from the get-go? Mm. So I'm originally from the UK. I moved to Australia in 2002. Um, we actually came out for the Olympics in 2000, the Sydney Olympics, and loved it, had an amazing time. And my parents said to each other, how amazing would it be to move to Australia? And I think it's only in hindsight and probably only in the last few years that I've looked back and realised how pivotal um, picking up your life and moving to a new place and knowing nobody. We, we booked a house and a car on the internet and arrived in Sydney and drove around looking in real estate windows at sort of where we could live and where schools might, you know, which schools might be good. And I remember going distinctly going into the supermarket and just not knowing the brands that were available, all of those sort of normal normalities of life were sort of uprooted and I think now you know the the um, going through that and um, having to sort of start from scratch and make friends and there's probably more that I learned through that than I realize in terms of throwing yourself in figuring it out making friends along the way um, and yeah it was an amazing experience my brothers and I um, feel very Australian now we've sort of just surpassed half of our life in Australia and um but yeah, back in the early days, I was sort of, I studied um, at school and did quite well in art and design. Um, so I knew, I always talked a lot. So I, always, so I knew that was... <laughs> we love to talk. <laughs> my Definitely. <yeah. laughs> my report cards were always like, you know, distracts all the students. It has great potential. Um, and I was never particularly smart. I sort of, you know, would be 80% for things. And, but, you know, in a school where sort of 95 plus was the norm. Um, but I think I always had this curiosity for, uh, could we do this a different way? Or maybe we should rethink this. And um, my first business venture was um, selling a maths product that my uncle in the UK had developed, like a, a software. And I'm not particularly great at maths. And, um, you know, I sort of did it as a little bit of a maybe branding could be the differentiator. He developed this kind of CD-ROM basically for interactive maths pro program for schools and the branding was not great and I thought, oh, I think this could be improved. So I designed my own version on Publisher. It was very DIY. Um, printed it off in the laser printer at home, bought some DVD boxes on eBay and sent them out to schools and sent out these teasers. And I think I made about seven or $8,000 um, and schools, you know, schools purchased them. I thought it was amazing that, you know, people were interested in what I had to sell. Um, and in the end, 
I realised I just wasn't passionate about it. You know, it was a bit more of a tug rather than a sort of liberation into business. Um, so it was all, you know, mutually fine, shut that down and... Um, yeah, and then it wasn't until sort of five or so years later that I had the same sort of resurgence of curiosity. I love that. And I think that the fact that you even had that experience so early on of kind of packaging things up and, and branding it all and as much as you know, having people actually buy it, you know, is huge. Mm. You know, and I think so many of us kind of get bogged down into the academics and it's all very good, you know, don't get me wrong, I've done five years at uni. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it's that idea of we, we sometimes lose that entrepreneurial spirit or that creativity and it's so cool that you were able to grasp that at Mm. a young age. And a lot of, I think a lot of entrepreneurial traits are just around rigour and drive and curiosity and things that aren't necessarily academic, although you need a great product or a great idea. um, I think they need to be partnered with other skill sets and some hustle. At Mm. the end of the day, I did a lot of cold calls and I understood a lot about the maths curriculum to be able to talk about it. Um, And that's just hard work. That's just, you know, you can't sort of just buy it off the shelf that's sort of putting in the a bit of elbow grease um so I think the two complementing each other so having a great idea but then also the the ability and the want and the passion for what you're doing to take it to that next level huge I love that great so you know you did head into as much as we talk about that creativity you did definitely do your degrees um bachelor of arts at communication and advertising at charles sturt university so you know you won quite a few things while you were at uni um Mm. you know you were one of seven students to be chosen to represent the university in an international student advertising competition and you guys won first place huge talk to us a little bit about your time at uni and i guess what you learned about yourself during this time So I decided to move out to a regional university and pick up and move there for three years, um, a few hours drive west of Sydney. And um, it wasn't the obvious choice. I think there was was this amazing Sydney universities. Um, But the communications course out at Bathurst, which is where I studied, um, has great PR, journalism, advertising, theatre media and radio. And um, a lot of ex-advertising agency heads um, move out to the country later in their career. So access to great mentors was sort of a big pull. And um, so I moved out, on campus, had an amazing few years, um, but there were all these sort of opportunities that started arising that people didn't seem to be sort of t- making the most of. Mm. And one of them, a couple of them, I won a couple of scholarships and I think I won them just for giving it a go. You know, I don't, I, I wasn't particularly better than anybody else. I just, uh, why not? And putting, I, I put a lot of work into the application and, um, and then the same for the, um, for the other awards. So the university had a, an advertising agency style, um, kind of campus on it Uh, and then we formed these small groups to run campaigns and it was phenomenal probably one of the best learning um, learning pieces in at at uni because it was real and we worked on real briefs and as a team even the people dynamics of sort of um, leading managing working within a team and dividing and conquering tasks Um, and yeah to be part of the process and to work on um, briefs it actually then sort of uh, projected me when I move in moved into a career uh, in just in terms of being able to brief properly and be able to ask the right questions and push back and understand limitations much more than just the theory. Um, so, yeah, I was involved in a couple of different campaigns at uni and I've actually been asked to go back since and help um, ju- judge, and uh, which is really cool seeing it come full circle. Um, being on the other side now, uh, knowing what clients will and won't sign off on and what is realistic and what is just a really great pipe dream but totally unrealistic. Um, so, yeah, it was a great time at university and I'm definitely going to make my kids move away and just almost kind of grow up a bit personally as well as professionally. 
And did you feel that, I love this, and did you feel that you did kind of grow up into mm-hmm. that young adult? What were, you know, what what was the main takeaway you had just personally during this time? So moving a few hours west of Sydney meant that it was also a few hours east uh, uh, for people coming from the country. And so in the dorms I lived in, um, three different dorms, I was put in with um, some amazing amazing regional um, students. And some of them have have gone on to become really close friends. Uh, One of them I was maid of honour at her wedding. And she's a a primary school teacher. Her partner's a farmer. They live 20 minutes drive from their nearest neighbour on a wheat and sheep farm. I just would never have met, you know, somebody and become as close to somebody as regional and with a completely different approach to life and you know doesn't isn't in marketing and isn't metro living and isn't you know doesn't isn't bound by a lot of the ideology that we have in a in a city working in in marketing and so i think the biggest thing for me was the well-rounded you know um approach to life with different different backgrounds and people all coming together for this sort of window of three or four years so yeah i think it was quite shaping mm. I love that. In a previous conversation I've had today, we've talked about travel and about just getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And I think this is so similar. It's, it's just more that you had a couple of years, you know, not too far away, but further, far mm. enough. And being able to just the different, I guess, almost a different culture when you live out there in the country. It is a different way of, mm. as you said, compared to much metropolitan life. And, you know, that growing experience for yourself personally and then that how, how that shapes your work. So I love that. Mm. Great. So, you know, I want to dive into straight after uni. So, you know, this this transition from university through to st- from university through to full time work is always the one thing that many of us stress over. And many of our peers out there listening, you know, maybe thinking, which career path is for me? What job should I get? How do I go out there and create those opportunities? So, talk to us a little bit about your experience there, and then, in particular, I loved your experience at the Take One Production. So, I'd love that to hear a bit more about that, and then how you chose, how you create that opportunity for yourself. Mm. So, I left university with a scholarship to an ad agency, um, which which sounded amazing, and and, and it was amazing. Um, but I also graduated into the GFC in two thousand and eight, and. So um, they paid me to do four weeks internship at a, a big ad agency in North Sydney. Um, and at the, you know, three and a half weeks in, they said, you know, the purpose of this scholarship is so that we can hire um, graduates that we interview and um, take you on the journey. Unfortunately, we've got a global freeze. We can't hire you. The team that I was in went from um, 12 to four the week that I was, the month that I was there. And you could just feel it. Everyone was sort of worried about their jobs, worried about the future, you know, um, Everyone sort of on tenterhooks. So um, I left there and it was then a real struggle. I think because maybe I'd thought that it would be a bit more seamless having a, a sort of a way into the industry and my parents not working in, in communications and I didn't sort of have, I didn't have many um, leads into new jobs um, and it was a real struggle. I sort of had to hit, hit, hit the hustle and um, a friend of a friend that I met at drinks, he had an agency and he said, oh, I might have some part-time work for you. Come in and have a chat. And he paid, they paid me $120 a day, um, just ad hoc. They'd call me on a Monday and say, we think we need you Wednesday and Friday, and but maybe not, you know, and I'm sort of living between this 120 and 500, 600 buck kind of, you know, yeah. limit a week. And, um, but I was just keen for the experience and to, to get into the industry. And I do think that momentum is important. Um, so a lot of friends went out and, and did gap years. And in a way, I kind of wish that, you know, th- that would have been amazing. Um, but for me, 
uh, and needed to go from sort of learning and, and as part of Kajulu, the ad agency at uni, um, and straight into keep the momentum into a career so that I could translate it. And I've since gone on to do and do a lot of travel now. Um, so it's sort of like a, a later travel thing. But yeah, so I got this job part time and it was amazing. I was doing voiceovers and um, a lot of digital um, video content. And it's crazy because they were sort of maybe six people at the time and it was such an awesome experience for me. And then eventually when I went on to start my own thing, it's crazy to have created my own version of that a few years on. Um, so, yeah, so I went from there to Pacific Magazines um, and then I yeah, got fired. So that was um, that was another low. I sent the wrong ad to print a few times and um, <laughs> it wasn't well received. I think I sent a Christmas ad in April. Um, so. <laughs> oh, we love those, don't we? <laughs> um, so I left there um, and I got this opportunity at Take One Productions, a small production company in, in Sydney's east. And um, the owner was in his 60s. I was had just turned 20 and I went along for this role that in hindsight was probably a bit out of my depth, but I thought, why not? I went and interviewed for it. And he said, you, you, how old are you? You don't look old enough for this role. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think you're meant to be asking me that. Um, but in an instant comeback, I said, well, I'm in my 20s, <laughs> which was both truthful and um, slight exaggeration. I think I was months to, you know, months into being 20. Um, and he said, I'm just not sure. You seem very young. And I said, well, let me do work a week for free for you. Let me prove that I can sort of do this. So he said, great, I'll see you on Monday. By Monday, he'd forgotten that we'd agreed. So I turned up and he's wondering who I am. Um, anyway, I did this week with him. It went really well. He offered me the job uh, and I was there for five years. So, and I ended up uh, rebranding, moving the offices, hiring new people, winning new clients, diversifying clients. It was a really steep but amazing learning curve. He's a really great negotiator and, and quite a hard, quite blunt person. And so uh, we sort of played bad and good cop quite well. Um, and I learned a lot about um, uh, about business and um, working with clients and, and on campaigns that, uh, you know, have definitely fast-tracked me in my own, own career. So I um, was there for five years and the last few of those he said, uh, you're my re- retirement plan, one day you're going to own this business, and um, which is really exciting yeah. as a 20-year-old, you know. Phenomenal. So I had a business advisory company come in and value the business um, and I put forward a proposal in uh, mid-2014 and he came back by his lawyers uh, 48 hours later and said, actually, I've decided not to sell. I've had the business for 30 years and um, sorry, which was devastating because it was sort of what I'd poured, I poured myself into and... Um, yeah, so I sort of I took a bit of a hiatus and went to India, which is where the word cello comes from, which means um, let's get moving, let's get going in Hindi. And um, yeah, that's sort of where the, the thinking for cello started. Wow. I always love it's so different when you read about it and then, you know, when you hear it mm-hmm. and, you know, the story, I think there are so many takeaways here and I think there's so many questions I've got to ask with this. I think the first one is... As a 20-year-old, you know, gaining that confidence to just go, I know I may not be qualified, I know I may not be what you're after, but let me prove to you, where do you think that confidence, that drive comes from for you? It's a good question um, because I have, I absolutely have that, but I also have another side that uh, is pragmatic and realistic. I'm sort of not too far head in the sky that it's, um, that I uh, disconnect what is possible. Um 
I, you know, I think it's I think it's innate. It's not something that I think about. It's probably like I said about moving to Australia. It's probably that like, well, let's just give it a go. Let's just see. My mum is really optimistic and very kind of, yeah, give it a go, figure it out. Um, and I think I just saw the opportunity. I thought, you know, it's a bit daggy branding, and the business could do with a bit of a makeover. I think I can make a difference here. And I thought if I give a week for free, you know, I'm not owing anybody. It's sort of I'm I'm proving myself. And um, yeah, I think I, I just sort of I backed myself, which is what I've come to realise is one of the most important things that nobody will back you as much as you have to back yourself. Um, there's no silver bullet. There's no red carpet. You really do have to just put yourself out there. Mm. So I think it's an eight. Yeah, mm. I love that, and I love that point about backing yourself and I think so many of our peers out there listening who you know maybe they have an idea or maybe they're trying to get that role but they're just a little bit nervous about it and I think backing ourselves is just the number one thing we have to do you know in order to progress I love how you made note of that I love how you said that. Um, okay, so and then the the last thing I want to touch on here before we progress into cello is the fact that you you know the, the same person who said I don't think I think you're too young said to you five years later, well I think I want to sell the business to you. Huge, you know. How did you I kind of I think it comes down to that consistency in the work that you clearly did for him. How did you kind of navigate yourself through this challenge and keep that consistency up? Um, I think there's, well, there's a few different ways businesses can differentiate and in, um, in what we do in production and marketing, um, customer intimacy and knowing who we're working with in those relationships is really important. Um, and it's definitely what the old business and what Cello is built on. Um, we're not just a product kind of one size fits all or a, um, I can tell you what you need before we've had a proper chat. We're much more in the why and the understanding and the unpacking before we delve into a project. And I think that understanding of of the relationships I think that became really important and really pivotal and powerful in our growth um so customer intimacy but also um consistently delivering and keeping your word it's got to be one of the most undervalued but important um it becomes your integrity if you can't deliver and um and there's definitely times when the goalposts move or you know there's uh, situations outside of your control but owning it um there's been numerous times in my career where it's a do or die do I own up to this or do I kind of uh you know under the carpet and um honesty, even if it's tough, is just always the best medicine. Um, And I just really value sleep at night and being able to sleep well. And so whatever I can do to um, have a good night's sleep and rest with a clear conscience and, you know, that I've put in the best I can do that day. um, It's quite, I think it's, I don't know, I see it's quite simple. So. I love it. I love it. Okay, great. So cello. Mm. So, you know, you've walked out, you know, unfortunately you haven't been sold the business that you, you so hoped that you would. You put in five oh, strong years or four years in into that and then you decided, you know what, let's just start something. Talk to us a little bit about that decision there and then what were some of those early challenges going into Cello? Mm. I... Um I think for me, it's important to note, I didn't wake up one day thinking, right, it's on, I'm going to do this. It was a series of smaller decisions that built to a big one. And I think sometimes it can seem like other people in business, and maybe they do wake up with this deep knowing of what they're doing is, you know, on track. For me, that wasn't the case. It was a constant edging towards something that I felt was a right fit and curiously kind of questioning it. So I left, um, I left that business. I went to India um, and I heard someone say, cello, let's go, let's get moving. And I thought, I really like the way that sounds. Um, I called up my now business partner, who's our creative director. 
one of the best at the time and today, creative, amazing brains that I know. And I, he was working um, in-house with a brand. And I said, what are you up to? Let's go for a beer. I've got something I want to chat to you about. And we went for a beer that night. And I said, um, I think I'm starting an agency. And even in that, I, I really, I mean, it was the day before I'd resigned and um, I had not thought it through at all. No business plan, no idea, no idea. But I just had this kind of hunch of, I remember my dad saying to me, have you thought about starting your own agency? I think you'd be really good at it. And uh, for someone like an engineer, quite conservative, although, um, you know, super positive, I knew he wouldn't be saying it if he didn't think I really could. And a few other clients had also said the same thing. Wherever you go, we're going to come find you. So you should have a think about it. And I actually got offered a job with a, a European fashion label at the same time. They were like, we'll train you in Florence, you get oh. flown, you know, it was a fancy role. But I thought I'll never, I'll, I'll never forgive myself or I, I will live in that sense of regret if I don't give it a go. So I went to India, called him up and said, what do you think? And he said, so what kind of agency do you think you're starting? You know, and I was <laughs> on the fly. I was like, well, I think there's a gap between big agencies uh, where I had I'd, uh, interned and then this really small production company style where it's sort of a boutique agency able to be agile and move. There's a lot more channels now that content's required for. I think it's only going to grow. Um, and how can we create meaningful content in that? Uh, and he's like done, on board, resigned. And we've been an amazing partnership ever since. He's he's a phenomenal guy. And I think we've just got really great respect for each other's skill set um, and a similar North Star in terms of our values and how we treat people um, and what's important. So we divided it down the middle. He's everything creative, executional, and a lot of our people report up to him. Uh, and then I'm much more finance, clients, growth, um, what's next. So, um, and it works really well. We're, we're, you know, on the same page most of the time and have really robust but respectful conversations. And uh, yeah, so that was sort of the beginnings. He resigned and we launched about three weeks later. Wow. Amazing. I think it's so cool how you just didn't wait, how mm. you just were like, you know what, I'm going to call up my mate. We're going to have this discussion. I'm going to see where it goes. And, you know, the fact that you, you said you didn't even write a business plan, all of that, it's just so cool. And I think that's a huge takeaway for all of us, you know, looking to start something because, you know, you don't have to have it perfect before you go out there and do it. So talk to us a little bit about those early challenges. You've launched three weeks in, you had the idea about three weeks ago, you know, what, what came next? So we sat down and we had a friendship. Um, Tris and I had a friendship. We'd never worked together. Um, <laughs> so we said, all right, how could this look to not ruin our friendship? Um, and so we both said, okay, we could put in about 10 grand each, which 10,000 Australian dollars, which sounds like a lot of money. And it was a huge amount of money that it cleared my savings account at the time because I was going to buy the other business vendor financing. So buy it out over time. Um, so this was a sort of an upfront fee uh, investment for Tris and I. So we put in 10 grand each with 20 grand. And um, we said, let's give it a year if we can survive a year. Um, and let's see um, if it doesn't work, no love lost. We, you know, it's a small amount of money in the scheme of life and it'll be great experience. I think I think it was kind of a hunch in a way, like I think this could work. And so we put it in, gave it a year, and um, we just hit the ground running. A lot of clients had said, wherever you go, you know, we'll find you. And, and I also knew we had to be opportunistic with the timing. If we left it too long, there would be briefs from clients that had to go somewhere and they would likely just tender it or go, you know, didn't necessarily have great relationships. So um, if we didn't launch, we'd kind of miss this window. Um, and so we kind of frantically got everything together. We built our own site, did our own branding. Um, I wrote the copy. He was doing the design of the site until midnight. We had to launch on July 1. <laughs> And because um, I knew that we, if we didn't launch, it would constantly be um, 
agencies are so bad at their own brand a lot of the time because you're working on clients' work. And so I said, we have to have it launched and, and something up and running. And we just started, we just hit the ground running. We just started hustling and contacting and um, putting everyone that we sort of knew or that we'd worked, you know, he'd worked with. His his organisation was one of our first clients, the one that he left. And we just started the two of us. He would do, so I would do quoting, um, producing, uh, invoicing, managing the client. And then he would do the, the you know, everything technical, equipment-wise, shooting, editing, so it was very video focused and we just started and just tried we took nothing out of the business for at least sort of five six months and um, we just tried to get momentum and we kind of knew even if we just get a client in uh, on a small job we'll be able to sort of grow with that client so we gave it a year we um, we turned over a million dollars in our first year which was enough for us to sort of reinvest you know a couple of people and staff and move into our own office and um, and reinvest in some projects and clients and and then we started diversifying out of video into design and branding uh, and photography and other creative assets um, yeah and it was a really great first year it was sort of quite defining and um, we had an amazing business advisory company so sort of accountancy that worked with us on structuring the business for growth so we set ourselves up at the start with the right sort of trusts and you know um, structure and that's absolutely paid off so much now as we've continued to grow with with how we've structured and what our options are I think that was probably I mean it cost us a few grand at the time for those meetings and just one of the best investments alongside a shareholders agreement that um, back then was a pain and I think will only be useful uh, more useful in the future I love it it's just phenomenal. What I find amazing about your story is the fact that you say it so nonchalantly, like you're so <laughs> relaxed about it, but it's the fact that in the first year in business, you turned over seven figures. It's just, it's very, it's unheard of, you know, and the fact that you guys were just like, we'll put in 10K, we'll just see where we, you know, just see where we go with it, I think is is almost probably the reason why it did take off the way it did. And the fact that there wasn't too much pressure around it was just, we'll just see what happens. What advice would you give to our peers out there listening who maybe they're, you know, they're in a similar position to you when you started. They've got that 10K in the bank and they're like, should we just throw it in and see where it takes us? You know, what are some key pieces of advice that you would give to them? Um, I think different businesses have different barriers to entries. Um, ours is quite low, low barriers to entries, um, more difficult to scale quickly, whereas there are product businesses, higher, higher barriers, uh, you know, capital intensive. But once you hit, uh, you know, hit a, a certain scale, it's, you know, exponential growth. So I think um, playing to your strengths and understanding what you're really good at. Um, one of the things we focused on is, okay, what are our weaknesses and how can we hire those as quick as possible? So, it, like finance for ages I was doing our bookkeeping but it's not a forte back to the math thing I could do it it just wasn't my strength and it was taking a lot of time so as soon as we could get a finance person on part-time to help you know it just um them they provided so much more insight than us doing it sort of half-heartedly at you know midnight on a Tuesday so um hiring for weaknesses was huge the old saying of hire uh, of sort of um hire slow fire fast is so true especially in the early days and you feel like you've not got many options because you maybe can't pay a lot or, you know, you sort of, but we started with some really simple things where we said, um, let's just commit to a month contract. And then the month became three months. And then if they were great, okay, do we want to offer them part-time or full-time? And just reducing those initial upfront obligations, which we used everything subscription model. We sort of would only hire equipment for the day we needed it rather than having to buy camera and lights and huge investment upfront. There's a tipping point at which 
you want to invest in gear because you're renting it so much. But I think, yeah, if you're talking for six to 12 months, we just minimum viable product everything can we get away with just you know can we do it on the on the cheap on the fly can we borrow things can we as as low as low cost as we can just so that we got momentum into the business and then it allowed us to then hire um, people at critical moments in the business where we just were flooded with work and I think back to the backing yourself, you know, we were in meetings really early on with boards and with senior team and pitching in ideas that, you know, we were like, this is a lot of work to deliver and there's two of us at the moment. Um, but we needed to, in a way, it's faking it till you make it. You know, we needed to face up and sort of, yeah, we can deliver on time and, and absolutely keep our word, even though in the background we're like ducks being like, oh, how are we going to be able to deliver this? And that's part of that kind of exciting, you know, um, got to give it a go and back yourself kind of feeling. So cool, so cool, and I think that it's it's so evident that with you, that's just how you've kind of done life. You know, you've kind of started off backing yourself with that first company you were with, and then you know when you created something of your own, it was the same thing. Mm. So it's huge takeaways here. Okay, so I want to dive into the progression of Cello. So you know, you went from you know that ten k investment at the start, not really knowing, trying to you know hustle to get clients, to you know a couple of years later, you guys were twenty fifteen Telstra Young. You were the twenty fifteen Telstra Young Businesswoman of the Year um, for New South Wales. You were BT thirty under thirty in twenty sixteen. Umbrella thirty under 30s young achiever of 2016 and then in 2017 you won your Forbes 30 under 30. Phenomenal. Talk to us a little bit about when you knew Cello had taken off. Um, oh, that's a great question because when you're in it, it is so not glamorous. You know, <laughs> it is just it's a grind and it's, you know, long hours and it's difficult conversation. It's, it's hard. Mm. Um, running a business really is massive highs and massive lows. Mm. I think in the early years, you know, you get into those massive highs. You just keep being, people want to buy what I have to sell. Like, this is incredible. People want to <laughs> yes. work with us. Like, this is amazing. Um, but with that comes huge risks and huge, you know, delivery lines and deadlines and clients and, you know, budgets being pulled or added or whatever it is there's a lot of movement so yeah we we when did we feel like we hit it I mean the Telstra award was the first award that as a business we won um and that was I was in I was beyond underdog I really was scraping the barrel to even be you know a finalist from my perspective um and I was we were just stoked to be there as a business after our first 12 months um so we were if we were you know there's a thousand people there there was this beautiful dinner my parents came along and our team and um they call you each up on stage one at a time to to take your award and um I was like hey just don't fall over to get the award <laughs> like as once you once you receive it you sit down then they announce the winner and um all of six of us and these were amazing people some of them have gone on to build multi like ridiculously large successful businesses one woman had been in business nine years by the time she was 30 um and I was there 12 months you know <laughs> like a few team members and you know it was just incredible experience and then they called my name as the winner and there's a video there's video footage of, I'm genuinely shocked you know, it was like, how on earth are we here? And I remember talking to a judge afterwards and I said, how did I win that? Like, I really was the underdog. <laughs> and she said, oh, for your passion and vibrancy, but also potential for the future. And um, I thought that was really interesting too, that we hadn't yet, you know, we weren't as successful as other businesses as finalists, but they could see where we were heading. And, I'm, and probably a reflection of us as leading the business and our team within the business um, and it being a sort of a growth area. Uh, but yeah, that really 
uh, provided credibility and sort of um, one to watch and then helped. We won the B&T and the Mumbrella Awards, which were kind of, which are industry, in, more industry credibility. And then Forbes was, again, you know, such an incredible honour in the Asia-Pac region and then going on to the global, um, to, to Manila and to the US. So... Um, the whole thing's been a bit of a whirlwind, um, but an amazing few years. I don't know if there's a point we ever go, we've made it. I think we're just, there's always more to do. There's always there's always more to improve on. Scaling is definitely a different pace to starting up. And we're in that now. Uh, we're in our fourth for about four and a half now. Um, and we're definitely feeling those growing, growing up pains and um, all really positive and they're all to build a great sustainable business. But the only constant, the only constant is change. The only thing that we have that we wake up every morning saying, I know what will happen today is that something will change <laughs> um, and being okay with that and leaning into people change and project change and industry change societal change you know stock market change there is so much impact um, so yeah I don't think we've ever gone we've made it but there's definitely the Telstra Awards and then um, in Australia the last year we had the um, the gay marriage um, plebiscite approved and our team went on to produce some social content for our own brand and they um, made some incredible work, put it up and had it live and I wasn't across any of it. And I saw it come up when I was at a meeting and I was so proud that they feel like it's their business as much as ours and that we stand for great things. So there's moments like that that are not award-winning you know, moments, but they're uh, pivotal in the way that I reflect on what we've managed to create culturally. And the same when a client, you know, has rapid um, growth or a huge achievement that we've been a part in in building. It's that proud kind of um, we got this, you know. Like we actually we are not just a startup anymore. We're phenomenal at what we do, and um, yeah, those moments that are not so in the limelight are probably the most meaningful. It's amazing, and I, I I was literally about to touch on your work with non for profits because you've done so much of it, and it's so true, isn't it? It's you can get all the awards in the world, but at the end of the day, if your work doesn't have meaning then you know what's the point that's right and that's that's very much our mission is to make meaningful content i think there's a stat that's 70 percent of content that goes out there's never seen how can we never be a part of that and only ever uh, release work that is meaningful and that might take lots of different forms last week we did um, a comedy shoot for playstation and ridiculous you know comedic talent and an absurd script amazing creative um in that in in that context is meaning meaningful as much as um we did a documentary about aged care and dementia and you know that was such a long um, project and so so much emotion um, into it and so on the other side you know that's meaningful in that context um, so we always try to look at anything that we're putting our name to on behalf of a client um, that it serves the audience in the right way I love that I love that wow but yeah, we have worked with a bunch of not-for-profits, I think this year maybe 15 or so, mm -hmm. um, in all different capacities, um, some completely pro bono. We did some work recently with a sanitation project in Papua New Guinea through to um, Cancer Council and um, Garvin Research, Institute of Medical Research, um, through to mental ill health in schools and um, professionally as well as personally. We, involve, you know, we buy tables at events and stuff, but we feel like the biggest impact we can make uh, as business owners and as a business is... Uh, to use what we're really good at to help people with what they're really good at. And um, if it means that we can help create a brand or evolve a brand or create a campaign that helps other people change the world, then we feel like that's the best place for us to play. Mm. I love that. And so many non-for-profits you've worked with, you know, Project Futures, the Salvation Army, all these you named, Fighting, Fighting Chance, School of Life, you know, so many there. My question here around this is, you know, 
how do you manage to jam pack all of that into such a busy schedule? And, you know, obviously it's such meaningful work. And as, as you mentioned, that idea of we want to serve so that they can serve is really the pitiful, it's mm. really the foundation of it all. How do you talk to us a little bit about how you structure your, your days, your weeks, your team, do we have to get all this work and content out? So something that Tris and I realised pretty early on is that in any creative services business, there is a tension between uh, creative and commercial um, outcomes. And so we might have really well fee paying projects that are not that creative. We conversely might have a really amazing opportunity where they don't have much budget, but it's an open kind of creative brief. And so we, we, we choose projects based on um, a number of criteria um, uh, especially when it comes to not-for-profits, is where can we make the most difference? Um, and what is it they're trying to achieve? Do we, do we believe in what they're achieving as well? Um, we, sort of, we see it as there's never a good time. You, you know, if we don't have work in and we're like, all of a sudden we can work with not-for-profits, uh, we should be probably winning fee, full fee-paying work. Um, and if we're really busy, then there's, sort of, there's no time to slot them in. So we treat them as, as full fee-paying client work with the same timelines, expectations, deliverables. And I think it's the only way to um, do it justice and to deliver. They're still organisations with their own you know, timelines and, um, and objectives. So um, we treat them as, as full fee-paying projects. I think along with commercial and creative decision making it's also a cultural part of our business so people we want to be the best place for people for, to we want to be the best place to work for our team to come to work every day going I love what I'm working on and it's making a real meaningful difference and as business owners and as decision makers then it's providing those opportunities for our team to make a difference we're working on a bunch of stuff uh, around um, female leadership at the moment with a not-for-profit and uh, yeah it's actually over in Europe um, and another project in the US where they're getting this global um, perspective and working on um, such a variety of causes but also organisations where there's there's lots of different reasons why we choose to take the work on and it creates more of a holistic, we're not just in this for a buck, you know. We're, yes, we're running a business and yes, we want to be sustainable and yes, we make a profit um, but there's so much more to it than that and that's probably the grounding of both Tris and my parents and family and where we've come from that we have a lot of friends that have started phenomenal not-for-profits Fighting Chance is one of them they're amazing um, as well as Project Futures it's started by young people trying to make a difference and have funded millions of dollars to um, anti-sex trafficking or um, yeah, young people with disabilities so um, for us to even be a part of that conversation and be contributing uh, is it's actually a real honour for us to do so um, we schedule it all in we have project management software and systems we have producers across all work um, and we choose that you know our integrity relies on being able to deliver great work regardless of um, you know the the if we've chosen to take it on we've committed to it it shouldn't be then about um, you know the, the, the how much fee they've paid or you know we believe in what they're trying to achieve and how can we all get there together in a partnership hmm. I love it there are so many good takeaways here I'm just thinking about all of the different quotes that are going to come from what you're saying. It's amazing. Great. So I want to kind of end on this idea of curiosity. So you say in your LinkedIn bio that curiosity, my curiosity is my greatest strength. And just hearing you speak like today, it's so evident. So I want to learn, I want to know essentially, how can we become more curious? You know, how can we kind of grasp opportunities, learn about things quicker, how can we how can we do this? I think it can be I know for myself I choose to take different routes to work in the morning to uh, so that you don't fall into the um um 
almost like daily grind. Um, so I'd take different routes to work or I'll try a different meal or um, push myself out of my comfort zone. And that comes in so many different professional and personal, um, you know, um, examples. I think curiosity for me, I try and lean into um, topics or um sectors that I am not well versed in to understand more um, and I have some phenomenal mentors that I meet up with often and they're meant to be mentoring me but I just want to learn from them like what are you like how, you know how what are you doing what decisions are you making tell me about your sector how do you operate how do you play who are your competitors what's the future are you going to sell are you gonna... and <laughs> learning so you know that's in a business context but always asking questions and listening more than um more than speaking, which is ironic on a podcast. Um, <laughs> it's my, it's why I do my job. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to learn from anyone. Um, I also encourage our team. So we have, um, so we've got design and branding, digital, uh, video and animation, and producing teams. Um, I encourage them take your team out for a walk around Redfern, our local area, and go and purely take like don't take your phones just take cameras and go and photograph interesting things there's a bunch of street um like wall art there's some amazing flora and fauna there's uh, some amazing even like old cars like go and reimagine and get ex uh, creatively excited again um and same we've been to museums we've done you know um the escape rooms we've done um all sorts of um, team days to stay curious and to ask like well what's possible maybe we could do this um, and we've we've banned the words yes I know in the office because there's always something to learn from someone else and as soon as you shut down like yeah I know I'm, I, I know we've done that I know we've tried that um, it creates a barrier so uh, the yes and and adding to ideas so that good ideas come from anyone and um, not lim limiting it to just seniors or just people that have been in the role longer. But often a junior with a different perspective or from a different part of the business has a really great way of thinking about something. Um, so yeah, I think I just, I try and ask questions, read things that are not um, in my usual, even aggregated apps on my phone that pull news and information from different sources. I try not to just lean towards things that naturally I know, but um, how can I learn more about architecture or about like plant species or things. That are doc I watch a lot of documentaries um, to learn because in our game too, we, we sort of, we work with hundreds of different types of clients and be able to draw those patterns between meetings and say, oh, it's actually interesting. I saw that you're, you know, in your sector, this is happening or in a parallel, you know, sector, this, could you be reappropriating these ideas? And often they then become really great basis for um, uh, new ways of thinking and challenging our clients and our team. I love it. Wow. There are so many takeaways here. It's amazing. <laughs> Great. So, you know, as we head into the close of today's interview and our chat here today, which I've absolutely loved, I just want to firstly acknowledge you, Lindsay, for the phenomenal work you've done and that you're doing. It's so cool to see, you know, someone, a millennial going out there, just taking on those wins, you know, backing yourself, backing themselves and just really going for it. And it's something that all of our peers out there listening, you know, we really appreciate you for that because, you know, it means that we could do it too. Absolutely. We could step up. We can make it happen. Absolutely. So we really appreciate you. Thank you. And thank you for your time. I mean, it really, if I can do it, genuinely anyone can do it. Um, and some some hard work, some hustle and, and bunkering down, asking for advice from people that have been there before I think you know that's available to everybody great so our final question here is how we finish all of our interviews here at the peers project and that is what is the value of doing what you're most passionate about
I think go, being able to have a full night's sleep, knowing that you've done the best that you can by the team or the people that you work with and waking up in the morning with a stride in your step, knowing that there's way more value that you could be adding and that there's way more for you to be doing is the most incredible sense of purpose. Thank you, Lindsay. Thanks we so appreciate you. <laughs> Cheers. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.